welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand your consciousness, stimulate your thoughts, enhance your mental and physical health, and encourage community. Today, we have an exciting interview with Sasha Cobra, who travels the world teaching about the connection between spirituality and sexuality. Stay tuned for this exciting interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. From time to time, I get uh, emails and people ask me about, you know, what's the connection What's the connection between health and politics? Why do you have politics, mind, body, health? Why do, why do you put in politics at the end there? What, what's the connection between, between those health and mind, body, health, and then politics? And the answer is that health, health is political. Health, like almost all other aspects of human life, is political in, in numerous ways. Health is political because like any other resource or commodity, in a capitalist economic system, some social groups have more of it than others. And by the way, when I say more of it, I'm not talking about just health care. Health care is only one aspect of health. Health promotion is another aspect. Health and well-being is another aspect. Health is political because its social determinants are amenable to political interventions and are thereby dependent on political action for, for or, or inaction, that is. Health is political because the right to a standard of living adequate for health and well-being, in accord with the United Nations 1948, should be an aspect of citizenship and a human right. But it really isn't. One example, the affluent in the United States Actually, according to the University of California Berkeley School of Public Health, the affluent live five years longer than the less affluent. That in and of itself tells you that health is political. And of course, there are the very obvious aspects of how health is political in terms of what food is available to what social group, what kind of food is available in what area of the supermarket, the first area when you walk in, or the areas all the way in the back. The water that we drink, how much chlorine in the water, that's a political, politically determined uh, um, act. The air quality, the air that we breathe, that's determined by politicians sitting around in a room making decisions based on interest groups who are influencing them to set certain levels of air quality. Therefore, the water that we drink, the air that we breathe, they're political. Our health is also, is also determined to a certain extent by our driving on the highways. How fast we drive and how that's related to accidents, that's a political decision. And so you see on and on, there are many aspects of health that are so politically driven that one can really not separate health and politics. They are one. And that's the answer to the question that you raise. And keep in mind that one important factor, that the affluent, again, University of California, Berkeley, School of Public Health, that the affluent live five years longer than the less affluent 
in our country. Well, some more news and notes, but before I do, I want to remind you that this Thursday, uh, October 18th, at 8 o'clock, KZYX Pledge Drive begins. And this is an important time for all of us to pull together and support our KZYX, our local NPR affiliate. If, if you're not a member yet, please consider a membership in KZYX. I won't go into all the historical implications of, of, of stations like KZYX all around the United States right now. Maybe at another time I will. But it's important to our community. I think we all know that. So if you're not a member, please consider becoming a member or, or just go right ahead and become a member. And in terms of those of you who, are, who know you're going to be making a pledge, you don't have to wait till uh, this October 18th, Thursday at 8 o'clock to make your pledge. You can make it right now, and it'll count towards Pledge Drive Week, which goes from the 18th to the 28th of October. Please, friends, if you like this program and all the other programs and so many of the other programs, you don't have to like them all, but you like some, and, and it's worthwhile to you, please participate, join in, join in with us. There are over 100 volunteer programmers like myself at KZYX, all pulling together to bring information that's relevant to your lives to you. So on to some more, um, some more news and notes. Maybe I ought to go to something lighter just for a moment. Did you all know that hookah, smoking a hookah is gaining popularity among college students and particularly amongst female college students? One in four female college freshmen will try smoking a hookah, according to a new study published in the Psychology of Addictive Behaviors. Yeah, one in four college students. It's on the rise. The popularity and social nature of hookah smoking, combined with the fact that college freshmen are more likely to experiment with risky behavior, notice that they say that smoking a hookah is risky behavior, but they don't tell you what they're smoking in it. That's a relevant variable. Well, they do say that water pipe smoking delivers nicotine, the addictive drug found in cigarettes, and we all know, particularly those in Mendocino County, that there are many other things that people smoke in hookahs in addition to uh, cigarettes uh, with, with nicotine. But I, I thought that was an amusing uh, piece of information. Here's one somewhat less amusing, but also very important. According to a new study, kids who slept just just a little bit, 27 minutes more, kids who slept just 27 minutes more than, than other children are less impulsive, less easily distracted, and less likely to have temper tantrums or cry often or easily. Yeah, 27 minutes more. And there's more and more research coming out on this phenomenon. Actually, it's 27.36. They put it, you know, made it that tight. In daily life, if you think the impact of short power naps, usually, which is, what is that, 15 to 20 minutes during the day, are helpful, you can see that a small amount of, of sleep can have a very, very positive impact on mood, attention, and well-being. And so what the National Institute of Health has put together are new guidelines for helping kids sleep 27 more minutes. One, lead by example. They're saying prioritize sleep in your daily choices. 
Two, set a fixed bedtime and wake time for both yourself and the child. Set a good example. Create a consistent, calm bedtime routine. Consistent and calm. And that certainly means not watching television or listening to loud sounds. They're recommending avoiding heavy meals during the two hours before bedtime. Now here's one that was sort of surprising to me. No more naps. Napping during the day may create difficulty in nighttime sleeping, they're claiming. By the way, I'd be interested to hear at some point what you all think about this. Exercise regularly is number six, but make sure it's done during the day and not too close to bedtime. Because that we know. If you exercise late afternoon or early evening, it's very disruptive to sleep. Do homework earlier, not at the last minute and not right before going to bed. And number eight, start the bedtime routine earlier. Start it 30 minutes earlier. That includes, you know, the brushing of the teeth or reading the book to the child, creating the environment that you want, but get a whole process going much earlier. And then last, also somewhat surprising to me, aim for 10 hours of sleep a night for 6 to 12-year-olds. That's an important piece of information for all of us. I, I never would have guessed that, that much sleep. 6 to 12-year-olds, 10 hours of sleep per night. By the way, if you didn't get that information and you have a child and you want that, you can always shoot me an email, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com. Again, drrichardlmiller at gmail.com, and I'll send you the whole list. Well, now on to the interview with Sasha Cobra. Sasha Cobra is one of three certified Nidiyama bodywork practitioners in the world. What is, a, a, what is Nidiyama bodywork? What is that? We're going to learn. But it, we do know that it makes claim to removing sexual trauma, releasing conditioning and old belief systems about, about and with the body. It assists with erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. And it clears sexual conditioning, including feelings of shame and guilt. That all sounds pretty important. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Sasha. Are you with us? Yes, hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. You traveled the world teaching about the connection between spirituality and sexuality. Is that correct? Yes. Um, to begin with, how, does that, how did you get into that? How did, how does, how did you start out... Uh, in, in, this, uh, in this vocation of traveling the world, teaching about sexuality and spirituality. What was, the, what was the origin of that for you? Well, I met one of the most brilliant men that I've ever come across in my life named Santam Nityama. And he's been doing this work for um, almost 30 years now. So I actually experienced the work myself and you were speaking about Nitwana bodywork, which is a certain style of energy work that he created. Yes. So I experienced it from the end of, for lack of better words, as the client. And um, basically ended up spending a whole lot of time with him, living with him, and training with him. Now, I actually never had the intention of doing this work myself. 
But as Nichiyama was doing this work and people were flying in from all over the world coming to see him, it just kind of naturally evolved. What would start happening is that many of the people that would come to see him, we would sit down and start to have conversations. And I realized that I had a lot of understanding and was being of great service to them. So it's almost like life pulled me into it as I began to see how people kept coming back in order to get assistance from me. And when you... uh, Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. When you say uh, they came, they started coming back, you noticed they started coming back to get assistance uh, from you. Assistance... Mm -hmm. In what kind of things? What, what kind of assistance were they looking for? Well, it actually it, it differs quite a bit. It really depends on what is going on with each individual person. But I would say that the great theme that was there was things surrounding sexuality. There's a lot of confusion that goes on on the planet around sex and how people relate to their own sexual energy. So, from my own experiences in my life, I was actually completely unaware of the difficulties that people were having around sex. So, as these people were coming to Nitiama and I started to have conversations with them, I realized that there's a lot of confusion and that I could be of great help to them as far as bringing clarity about different things that they were um, asking about. So... I'm going to say looking at doing consultations and things like that. And one of the greatest assets to um, assisting a person in any aspect of their life, actually, was me knowing how to do this style of energy work called Nitvana body work. Because what it does is it actually works with the body. Because most of the difficulty that people have are rooted with the body. So instead of, for example, um, I work with a lot of people that have been to therapy. And maybe they go to therapy, they go to psychiatrists or psychologists, and they may go for years, once a week. And they never can quite get to a place in their life where they feel like, you know what, I don't even have to come back anymore. I feel like that I have enough information and understanding inside of me that I'm pretty freed up from whatever the difficulties that I was having. And most of that is because when they go to psychiatrists or psychologists and they're doing things just with their mind, all they end up doing is just shuffling around information in their mind. So they leave and they kind of feel better because they kind of shuffled everything around to the right places. But the trauma or whatever the difficulties they're having are actually stored in the body. So it's almost like totally skipping over the mind and actually taking the individual and working with their body so that the trauma or the unprocessed feelings or the blockages that they have can actually be released from the body. And that frees them up to have a completely different reality as far as how they experience life. It actually even changes how they think because the mind and the body, as we know, are connected. So you can either work with the mind, for example. If you can relax your mind, your body relaxes. If you relax your body, your mind relaxes. 
So in the same way that if you can actually free up your body from all the trauma and unprocessed feelings that are stored there, it changes how you actually think because the trauma is no longer controlling your thought patterns. And you're particularly focusing on sexual trauma and sexual fulfillment and sexual blockages, is that correct? Um, I would say not necessarily. There's a, um, a pretty common theme around this, just because most people have some kind of um, I'm going to say trauma around their sexuality. Now, most people listening to this may think, oh, I don't have any trauma at all. Mm-hmm. I've never had bad experiences. I've never had any kind of, of this stuff going on. And what I'm saying is that trauma could be something dramatic, as we're accustomed to do, um, thinking of a situation like being raped or something of that sort or molestation. Now, it can also be just the fact that maybe you grew up um, in a very religious environment where you were being programmed with the idea that sex was bad or dirty. Or it could even be that as you hit your teenage years, your mother was telling you, you know what, don't masturbate, don't touch yourself. And just that programming created you having what I call, in my dramatic words, a trauma as far as how you relate to this energy, this natural energy that moves in you. And it could even be, and this is a common one, but when I communicate about this, most women will relate. It could even be that um, in our common world of how most people have sex, most men have sex with women in a way that is actually not natural or unnatural to how the female body functions. So what it ends up looking like is that most men are much too aggressive with their body without being conscious of it um, as to how the vagina actually needs to be handled, how it needs to be taken care of. So for most women, they can carry a lot of trauma in their vagina, not because they didn't want to have sex, not because they think they had bad experiences, but just because what most people think that sex is is much too aggressive and harmful to the body in comparison to what the body's actually meant to experience sex like. How do you how does this come about what, how, that men are being aggressive is it because rather than following their natural instinct they're learning about sex from movies or from places that show them that sex is aggressive because I would think that if if people follow their natural instinct then the male would do what's natural with the female, and the female would do what's natural with the male, and it would be a harmonious and loving union. But you're saying that's not really what happens a lot of the time, right? Yes, you're exactly right, because if people were in connection to themselves, and they could be more natural with themselves, then they would naturally follow that energy and be able to connect in a very harmonious way. The difficulty that goes on on this planet is that from the moment we get here, we are trained to be unnatural. Meaning, from the moment that you get here, you're being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, even as a child. So as a child, you get programmed and trained to not follow your natural energy. 
Do you think that so, just do you think that just living in our country with the with the values that we have about sexuality that just living here in and of itself is sexually traumatic? Um, I'm not even going to say that it's in our country because, as I said, or as you mentioned, I travel all over the world to all different kinds of cultures, and what I see is different flavors of the same phenomenon. So. This, um, I say the difficulty around sex that most people have is a worldwide epidemic. It really doesn't have much to do with any particular country. Uh-huh. Um, so everywhere you go, you see similar forms of the same kind of, what, distortion, would you call it? Or, or, or negative conditioning? How, how, do you, how do you view it? I'm going to just say confusion. Confusion. It's a lack of understanding. And the other thing that I was going to mention is that nowadays, with the Internet being so widely available, with many kinds of, and for basically anything that you want to know about, you will go to the Internet. And so especially with the generations that are coming up now, the newer generations, and also the older generations as well, they want to be great lovers. Or say a young boy who's curious about sex, he gets to an age of when he's curious about it, he wants to know, how does this work? I want to know all about it so that when I connect with a woman, I know how to be with her. So they go to the Internet and they look up sex in whatever form. And what they come across is pornography. Now, what you see in pornography or the kind of sex or the quality of sex that is shown in pornography is totally and completely nothing to what actually sex is. Um, and I mean, there's different. There's a wide range of pornography, but even if you're looking at pornography that is, um, I'm going to say, closer to couples making love or nothing vulgar, but just more of the common sex, most people in pornography, and when I say most, I don't want to make a bold state statement to say that none connect, but as I do my little research. I haven't come across any videos that I feel like actually really represent two people connecting in lovemaking. Yes. I, there I, there hmm. doesn't appear to be any kind of energetic exchange or merging or fusing in lovemaking. It appears to be that two people kind of come together and almost masturbate inside of each other or with each other. Yeah, I had uh, I had Chris Hedges on on this program some while ago, and he researched the pornography industry and came back and and said that that what is pornography in this country is being determined by a few people in Southern California, and as their cha their tastes change, then pornography changes, and their taste has gone towards rougher and more violent and aggressive sexuality in recent years, and that's what's being put out as pornography, and so therefore that's what young people see. Uh, but let's get off uh, pornography a bit and come back to this, um, uh, the whole area of the connection between sexuality and spirituality, because you're talking about a very different kind of sexuality than I think people are, are used to, aren't you? Yes. Now, I, I also want to tie in one more thing into pornography and answering your question, and that is that sex is, goes on in the body. Sex is of the body. It's not of the mind, in no way of the mind. 
So also to tie in pornography is that a lot of the people that watch pornography, they start to connect to their sexuality as a mind experience, meaning all their stimulation that goes on happens through the mind. Yes, they're watching through a watching picture. something, through seeing something, right. through fantasizing about something. Uh-huh. But it's not from them actually being silent in their mind with no fantasies and actually just feeling their body. That's where all the sensations really are. So when we're speaking about sex, what I'm going to call the natural way, because a lot of people even um, refer to the work that I'm doing as being tantric work, tantra work. What does that now, mean? Uh, always, hold on, let me interrupt you kindly, Sasha. Uh, no, please, t- yeah. What is tantra? Please explain that. And what is tantric? Well, this is why I always refrain from using the word. Because tantra is actually, um, that word has been so commercialized and misused at this point that when most, if, if people have heard of Tantra, what they think of is sex, sexual positions, things like that. But Tantra is actually a way of life. It's a way of, um, I say, living a path of full acceptance, not disregarding bodily sensations, sensuality, and more so than anything, it's how you relate to life. So... Um, the sexual aspect, being that it's such a big aspect of your life, would be very much involved in it. So when we're speaking about tantric sex, it would be sex that you are in, experiencing everything in full acceptance. So, so I, I've heard the what, word tantrika. What is a tantrika? Is that a? Could you tell us that, please? Well, I'll tell you that. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, and I and I only say that because I refrain to use that word myself. So it would probably be better to ask that question to somebody who makes this bold statement like I'm a tantrika, because all these words have been so washed down that it would be interesting for me to see how somebody that claims that statement how they would actually respond to that question. I love your answer. I've been uh, doing radio for many years and it's the first time I've asked somebody a question and they just said no. I love it. I think <laughs> I think that's a great and a great and, and and honest answer. So let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on to something else. You, you have uh, I've lectured, I know you've lectured to men on their connection with their penis. And, and I've heard it said that, that you believe that a, a, a significant percentage of men, uh, now I was going to say in our culture, but I guess given that you traveled the world, uh, it's, it's men all over the world, are out of touch, no pun intended, but are out of touch with their penis, <laughs> are out of, tu- out of touch with their penis. Could, could you elaborate on that, please? Is that, is that something you've said, and, and, and could you talk about it? Yes. Well, first of all, I don't ever lecture, (laughs) but I do share information, and it's always a topic that keeps coming back because of me um, coming across men consistently and seeing how out of touch, no pun intended, they are um, of their penis. And a lot of this phenomenon goes on because of some of the things that we already touched upon, one being... um, 
say, for example, in pornography, when you when you disconnect from that part of the body and you create a lot of stimulation in your mind around sexuality, you actually can. It's almost like you you create the disconnection. You cut that whole part of your body off because all of your energy and how you experience life is happening through the mind. It doesn't happen through the body. Now, for a man, I don't know if um, you or your, the listeners are familiar with polarity, but polarity is like on a battery, there's a positive charge and a negative charge, meaning positive charge would be where the energy is coming out from, where it's giving from, and the negative charge would be where it's receiving from. So within our bodies, we also have a positive and negative charge. And in the man, his positive pole is his genital area, meaning that's like his powerhouse. This is where all the energy is generated from, and this is where he gives from. So it's very crucial for him to be connected to his positive pole. And when we grow up in a society where sex is supposed to be, um, I'm going to say bad, and it's interesting because sex is everywhere, um, but if you start being very real with people about it, there's a lot of taboo that still gets installed and instilled within them around sex. Um, for a lot of men also, if they were young and they grew up um, kind of being afraid or being told to be careful with how they experience their masculine energy, they will also create a disconnection from their penis in order to refrain from feeling the natural energy that comes up in them. It certainly is. Um, it, this is it's certainly true in my experience that, and I think it, it's fairly common that sex is still a relatively taboo topic. I mean, perhaps with the exception of comedians on television and so on, but. It's rare to be at, at a dinner table or, or at, a, at a social event and people talk about, they don't talk about, you know, how was your sex last night? Or did you have some good sex this week? Or did you enjoy your sex? I mean, we don't hear that, do we? we? We talk about the weather. We might talk about politics. Even We might even talk about religion. But but very rarely do you, I mean, I can't remember in my, in my lifetime just having people talk about their sexuality just very matter of fact, you know. Oh, I was in bed the other day and we were having great, you know, and stuff like that. That that's not happening, right. is it? And that's right. part is and that's part and is that's part of the taboo that you're talking about. It's I would say this that what what you're seeing is a symptom of the taboo. That's not to say that that's the focus. Meaning, it's not that we have to talk about sex at the dinner table, but we have to be comfortable enough with it so that if there is communication about it. It's just in passing, like you'd be speaking about the weather. It shouldn't be this, oh, my God, we're talking about sex kind of phenomena. Yes. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, going to the gym for many years, men do not talk about their penis, even with other men, in, in, in the, even in the locker room. That's not a topic that I've ever heard come up. Yes, so does, and there's a lot of, uh, many people still carry a lot of shame and guilt around sex. Now, this is a topic, actually, that I also wanted to touch on as far as um, what sexuality is like and what the, how the disconnection gets created, is that for, for a lot of men, and I'm speaking about men now, I do work with men and women both, but the majority of the people that I work with or my focus is on is on men, 
and Nityama, the man that I work with, he also works with both men and women, but his focus is on the women, so it kind of covers everybody. So um, what I have found is that a lot of men, when I speak to them initially, they will say, no, I, I feel fine with my sex. And it'll be, it'll be men that have, not, have possibly had many women have what appears to them as a very healthy sex life where they do engage with women sexually on a regular basis. But when you start to really kind of investigate into their sexuality, you realize that there are other things that are stored in the body that they try to avoid and this is how, um, I'm going to say, unnaturalness occurs when they're having sex. So there's some men, for example, that if they were to connect energetically with the woman and start to have sex from that kind of a place, they may start to feel anger come up or sadness come up or these feelings that to them would be like, here I have this beautiful woman that I'm making love to, so... Why am I feeling anger? So when these things start to arise, they disconnect from their body in order to avoid feeling those things so that they can go on with just having sex or whatever it is that they're doing. So these kinds of feelings are actually stored in the body and need to be released so the man can actually be freed up from what I'm referring to as that trauma so that he could be more connected and actually feel more. So you're talking about the human emotions being stored in the body. And I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the work of Wilhelm Reich and, uh, and orgone therapy and of the body work tradition that came out of that that uh, I think is very much in accord with what you're talking about. Talking, yes, absolutely. Talking about you know, emotions, various kinds of emotions being stored in the body and then many of them coming out during sexual sexuality or as you're pointing out being pushed back down during the sexual act so that then you create a disconnect is this do you believe that what you're talking about here this sort of pushing down of emotions or disconnect from emotions does that contribute to what's called erectile dysfunction it very well can because see if, if a man if, if he has unprocessed feelings or some kind of trauma in that region of his body, in the genital region of the body. Now, let's say that he's still holding on to shame or guilt or something along those lines in the body. If he was to really connect to that part of the body and really start to have sex connected energetically with a woman, whatever's been in the body that is not there originally is going to start to leave it will start to surface and actually attempt to be released. So in the release process, the individual will have to actually feel and front um, face whatever it is that's being released. So for, for many men, if that is the case for them, they will feel hesitant or reluctant to have to face the shame and the guilt that they may be experiencing. So in order to avoid it, they disconnect from that part of the body. Now, if you're not able to bring your awareness to that part of the body and to feel, the penis doesn't have anything to respond to because there's no one in the body. So then you have so, a dead penis. 
so then you have a dead penis. Or an exactly. unconscious penis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. With no sensation. What I find is that, yes, what I find is that with a lot of, a lot of men that have, they, they will come with the difficulty of erectile dysfunction. In many cases, it's not actually something physiological. Everything in the body is functioning properly and perfectly. The difficulty is something psychological or a disconnection from their body. So if a person is able to reconnect to that part of the body, start to feel again, let go of whatever's creating the blocks or whatever they're hesitant to experience or feel, then the body's working perfectly fine. Suppose somebody's listening to this program. Let's say a man's listening to this program and he's saying, you know, I know, I, I, I can relate to what she's talking about. I mean, sometimes, you know, I get these feelings of shame or guilt, or you know, uh, you know about about sex or, or about having sex within a certain position or something, and I feel, you know, like I'm, you know, there's something wrong with me or something, and my and my and my penis then doesn't work. And what would you recommend? Do you have advice to the people listening and hearing that? Is there something they can take away from the program that would be helpful? Yes, and and before that, just to add something to the scenario you painted, a lot of it is, could also be um, performance anxiety because a lot of men do get performance anxiety, and it may not for for some men it may be very dramatic and drastic where they go, oh my god, I really have anxiety right now, but for others, they could be in the sex act but way too concerned about how am I doing? Is she enjoying herself? Am I doing it right? And I would put all that in the same category. So all these kinds of things create the person leaving their body. They end up spending way too much time in the mind. And if you're in the mind and you're thinking about anything while having sex, there's nobody in your body to actually have sex. So not only will you experience very little as far as sensations go, but the woman will feel absolutely nothing as well because there's nobody there having sex with her. The man is too busy thinking about things in his mind. So if I could recommend something to all the men that are listening is drop your mind. You do not need your mind in any kind of way, and not just for the men, for the women as well. There's no reason for you to be thinking about anything. There's a natural energy, especially in sex. There's a natural energy that moves through people all day long, and that's the energy that needs to move you in your life. That's the energy that needs to tell you where to go, when to be somewhere, and how to make decisions. And it's a little bit more difficult outside of the bedroom because we're so trained to be calculative and think about time and all these kinds of things. But in sex, you don't need it at all. Totally drop the mind. And how do you do that? Start to feel your body. Just start to feel. And for, for many people, when they begin to do that, they may feel nothing because of the many years of not having been in the body. It's almost like they have to relearn how to feel so that their body can become a resensitized. So I tell men, you know, if you connect with a woman, first of all, you don't need to have an erection before you actually even engage with her. Because most men put this pressure on themselves, and women do too, because they're programmed with the same idea. They expect this from the man. But the man needs to have an erection prior 
to him being inside of her. But it naturally doesn't make any sense. The, the man's penis responds to the energy in the woman's vagina, and that is what keeps him being erect. So a man can actually just be with the woman, with his body, be close to her, connect their genital areas together, and then he can even enter her soft, and that is perfectly okay. And as he's inside of her, to bring his awareness to his penis, and just feel her vagina with his pe- through his penis, meaning you're so in tune to your body and all of your awarenesses in your penis that you could feel any kind of sensations that are going on inside of her vagina. Can, can people consider that they're engaged in physical intimacy and sexuality when they're with their partner Without penetration, does that also count if they're just sort of doing the things you're talking about, hugging and kissing and licking and various things like that? Does that count? Or does, it, or does only penetration count? Well, first of all, I would like to say that it, that's not exactly what I was speaking about because I'm actually speaking about sexual intercourse. I'm just saying that the approach to it needs to be a little bit different. It doesn't have to be this, let me get my penis hard and then jab it inside of the woman's vagina and just move it back and forth. Hopefully, there'll be enough friction going on for me to feel something, for her to feel something. It has to be a much more of a listening to your body and to her body and allowing for the bodies to naturally respond because the penis and the vagina have an intelligence of their own. See, a lot of people, when... um, when they think about tantric sex or slow sex, conscious sex, they're like, oh, it sounds really boring, you know, a lot of petting and kissing, caressing. And I'm saying, no, it is real, natural sex. I'm just saying that for you, you can go even as fast as you want in your movement as long as you're connected to the movement and it's at a pace that allows for you to follow every single sensation that moves through you. So if we're speaking about, um, you know, kissing and hugging and all this kind of stuff, it's beautiful. I don't know why you have to take it away from sexual intercourse, but I also don't know why you would have to take away sexual intercourse from all of the hugging and kissing. What's your view on people being conversational during the sexual act? Is that something you recommend or, or not recommend? Does that put them in their heads or does that allow for more communication? Like, if a man is worried about his performance, you know, am I doing a good job, or, you know, is she enjoying it, should he just ask the woman openly, or is that something they ought to talk about later on? Well, the thing about it is that um, I would say do whatever you need to do in order for you to be able to really relax. Because, see, if a man is concerned about that, it's going to be very difficult for him to drop it on his own. So if you're so concerned about it, just stop. Stop doing everything. Pause and have a talk about it right down the spot. You don't even have to pull out. But just say, you know what? All this stuff is coming up for me, and I'm having a really difficult time staying present because this is what I feel. Allow her for for her to respond to you and say, you know, don't worry about it. There's no rush. I'm right here with you. And then he can finally relax and really connect to her. 
What's so there's the, no rules about it. No rules about it, about the communication. What, what, are, the, what are some of the common um, uh, questions that uh, females ask you when they're looking for assistance and the kind of things that they're dealing with? Um, for, for a lot of women, I mean, there are millions of women on this planet that have never had an orgasm. And they think that there's something wrong with them. In a lot of cases, it has to do with the fact that they've actually never been with a man that really knows how to be with a woman. So their body naturally had nothing to respond to, and that's why they've never had an orgasm. Um, in other cases, it could also be because the woman has a difficult time staying in her body. So she allows the man, even if it's the greatest lover on the planet, to make love to her, but she's so concerned about whatever she's concerned about. Sometimes it has to do with how she looks. Is she doing it right? Does he like her? Or it could even be, you know, what do I have to get done tomorrow? But any kind of mental activity like that never allows for her to actually be in the body to feel. And another thing that I've come across very often for both men and women is that people are very much afraid of their own power. So when you connect to your sexual energy, it's a very powerful source of energy. And basically, it has control over you. So in lovemaking, if you were to really let go, you would experience bliss and its full potential. However, most people are totally afraid to let go because they're afraid of feeling that power inside of them. Well, there is, there is that, uh, that sense of losing control that people talk about, that they're afraid of, and control is considered so important in our culture. Uh, I want to ask you something about uh, women's relationship to their vagina. Dr. Lonnie Barback was on this program some months ago, and she said that it wasn't that long ago that the majority of women in this country had, had never even looked carefully at their vagina, that there was so much prohibition, so much cultural training that they never looked at it. Does, does that sound f familiar? Does that meet with, with your experience? And do you think familiarity with one's own genitalia is important in, in gaining a comfort level? Well, I would just say that it seems natural for a woman to know what she looks like, period. So if you know what your face looks like, and you know what your hands look like, and you know what your feet look like, why would you avoid another part of your body? And this is where I'm saying that this stuff comes in as taboo. Now, I'm also not saying that women have to sit around and look at their vaginas all day long, but everything needs to be a natural phenomenon. This is kind of like speaking about sex being taboo. It's not that we have to parade sex around all over the place, but we need to be more natural with it. So a woman needs to know what her body looks like and be okay with it. So now because women are so, um, as many women are, embarrassed even of what vaginas look like. I was watching this documentary the other day about, um, I want to call it an epidemic of plastic surgery on vaginas where women are actually having their labia snipped off because they're totally self-conscious that in their mind it's too large or one side is larger than the other. And so now it, on this documentary, they had like teenage girls being so paranoid about the appearance of their vagina that they're getting plastic surgery done on it. 
So it's just a matter of, I want to say for everything, it's allowing people to love themselves. This, I'm going to say, is the root of all of the difficulty that goes on in the planet. Because if an individual has love for themselves, then all these um, different conditionings that are instilled within society, we watch, we look at magazines, we watch TV, all these things are communicating information to us all the time. And so if we are insecure, then you receive that information and you take it into your subconscious and then it starts to control you. If an individual has love for themselves, nobody can tell them what to do because they know themselves what is right or wrong for them. They know how they're being, how their spirit wants to be and live in this lifetime. We've talked uh, quite a bit now about negative conditioning, the effects of the culture, shame and guilt, the various thinking, the various things that get in our way from being natural sexually. So how would you expose sex to children naturally? Suppose you, you had that, you had a magic wand and you could wave it and we'd have a whole program for exposing children to sex in, in a natural way. What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, for one, I feel like that, I feel like that children become um, curious about their sexuality naturally, meaning they start to explore their own bodies and for a parent to tell them, don't touch yourself and do things like that, only creates this whole programming inside of them that this is something that's wrong. That my experiencing pleasure or my connecting to this part of my body is bad. It's, there's something wrong with it. So that's one point in it. And the other part is that we do offer, even at this point, sex education. I remember that I had sex education in school where we actually had a class and I think it was junior high where they teach you about sex. But the parts that they teach you in sex education is all fear-based. It's all about the diseases that you can have. It's all about you being pregnant. It's all about um, the protection you need to use and this and this and the other. But it's all fear-based. It actually creates anxiety just about sex because you've never heard any information about it as being something pleasurable or something where love is felt and experienced. So, for me, the, there needs to be education, sex education, for young people, but real education, so that when they start to um, play with the idea of engaging with somebody sexually, that it's something that they look forward to. It's a beautiful experience. It's not something that they have to fear and be afraid of because of, getting pregnant, getting STDs. And I'm not saying that that part needs to be excluded, but I'm just saying that there needs to be um, a full spectrum of understanding of how the bodies function and how the engagement needs to be. Because all your, the children are being given is fear-based information, and as far as understanding what sex is, they go to porn to see what, is it, what does it practically look like. We see very few uh, people who are what we might call sexually liberated in our culture. I was reading in the, in the paper in the New York Times the other day 
about the uh, the gentleman from France who got caught in here in a hotel in New York City. You recall, remember, with the, I guess an employee, and as a result of his little uh, his sexual escapade with her, he lost his uh, high-ranking um, um, position. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Strauss Kahn, and now he's he's describing himself as a as a, a self-professed sexual libertine. Uh, do you understand that word? What, what, what do you think? He, what is he talking about when he talks about himself as a libertine? Um, I have no idea what he's talking about yeah. because I'm not him. Yeah. Well, so he has some idea of what he's speaking about, and this is another question that would be for him. I can't speak for him. Yeah, well, it's a good answer. I, I, he's quoted as saying that, you know, he went to uh, these uh, expensive sex parties where people were naked and they did sex, you know, with uh, openly and publicly in front of one another. And he's saying, you know, something I don't think necessarily similar to what you're saying, but he's saying basically, I didn't do anything wrong. All I did was engage in a lot of sex, and I shouldn't get in a lot of trouble for it. And uh, and and very openly saying that, and it's not something we see very often. Most often we see, you know, when the governor of New York uh, got caught with a prostitute, you know, it was all about how wrong he was, and he always confesses, and the politicians each come out, you know, I did a terrible thing, and one after another, you know what I'm talking about, they come out and say, what a terrible thing I did, what a terrible thing I did. And here this guy's coming out, and he's saying, I didn't do a terrible thing. All I did was engage in a lot of sex, and a lot of public sex, and this kind of sex, but I didn't hurt anybody, and I didn't hurt myself, and you know, et cetera, and there's no reason why I should get in a lot of trouble for it. It's a very different, uh, very different perspective, and perhaps... Uh, you know, it's not not uh, surprising that it comes from a, from someone from France because they do have a reputation as being what more open or more advanced. You've been, I'm sure, you've lectured in France. Do, uh, are they different? Do, are they a little more pr- progressive, shall we say, about sexuality? Um, I have been to France, and I never make general statements like that. Well, good for you. That's a great answer again. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love some of your answers. Okay, well, we're coming to the end of the program, and I just um, want to ask you if there's something that you'd like to leave our listeners with as a sort of a conclusive thought about your work and about sexuality, and, the, and sexuality and spirituality. Yeah, well, what I'd like to say is this, is that most of our talk was surrounding sex and the theme of the topic of sex. However, I do work with people in all different aspects of their life, not just that. It could be about making more money, things at work, relationships, I mean, anything and everything. And what I would really like to say is that people need to connect with themselves because their reality, however they experience life, is a direct reflection of what's going on inside of them, what goes on internally. So whatever kind of difficulties they may be having, and whatever kind of changes they may want to make in their external life, outside of themselves, they need to bring the attention back to themselves inside. Connect you with yourself. Internally, uh-huh. Yes. As you work internally with yourself, your life externally will totally and completely transform. Perfect. Great ending. Thank you so much, Sasha Cobra, for being with us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I want to remind you, listeners, that this Thursday, October 18th at 8 p.m., our pledge drive begins. It goes until the 28th of October. Those of you who are considering membership, now's the time. 
jump in, become a member of KZYX. And for those of you who are considering and are going to be sending in pledge money, send it in now. You don't have to wait till the 18th. We depend on you for our program. And thank you all for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, my friend Mike Delora. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock. At that time, I'll have Hal and Sidra Stone, and we're going to be talking about voice dialogue, particularly with couples. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for and is essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.